right. All right, church, you guys can go ahead and find your seats. We're going to dial in this morning. Um, everybody doing good this morning? Awesome, awesome. Make your way uh, to your seats. Uh, hey, this week, this, this Sunday, what we are about to do together is the last Sunday of the thing beneath the thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All of the emotionally exhausted people in the room went, thank you. This is great. Um, hey, next week, I'm super excited for this. So this week is the last week of the thing beneath the thing, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But next week, we're kicking off a new series. We're going to be walking through the book of James. Uh, which is really cool. So we're going to spend five weeks in the book of James. And the one reason that I really, well, there's a lot of reasons why I love James. But one of the reasons why I really love James is James grew up, right, he was Jesus' half-brother. And so James grew up, you know, kind of knowing and seeing and grew up with Jesus, right? They knew each other really well. James didn't really actually believe that his half-brother was who he says he was until really later on in life. So, so James is kind of a skeptic. He's a guy that, that has a hard time sometimes wrapping his brain around the idea that Jesus really can change everything. So James kind of deals with, wrestles with, struggles with, kind of works on a lot of the same stuff that we do when it comes to faith, right? How do we believe things? How do we deal with, how do we chew on things? How do we understand things that sometimes are just kind of hard to wrap our brains around? And so we're going to spend uh, five weeks going through the book of James starting next week. So I'm really, really excited about that. So everyone emotionally and spiritually, mentally, all you can just kind of come up for air. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, today though, we are going to finish out the thing beneath the thing. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to dive in. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And we're just super grateful that you meet us exactly where we are. Like we say here every week, this is a place that you can come as you are and become all that you desire us to be. And you're the one that makes that happen. Just like Matt, Matt just saying, just like the song we just sang, and Matt just said, it's like we can't, we, we, there's a lot of things we can do to, to, to try to bring about change and transformation in our lives, but nothing compares to what you can do, all right? We can't get to the places, we can't cause transformation in our own lives to the place that you can, right? All the way down deep in the depths of our souls, who we are, our identities, those kinds of things. That's what you're in the business of changing and shifting and rearranging and making new. So Jesus, today... My prayer is this, we walk out of here today, not just having attended a service or gone to church or listened to music or listened to somebody talk, but we, we had a chance to, to bump into you because here's what happens when we do that, we can't stay the same. So Jesus, I pray we walk out of here today different people for the sole reason of that we spent time with you. Jesus, we love you. We're, we're, we're grateful for all that you do for us. And it's, it's in your name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. All right. So like I said, today is the end. It's the last week in the series that we've been in where we've been talking about kind of our, our spiritual health, our, our mental health, our emotional health, those kinds of things. And the reason that we talk about this is because Jesus cares about it. I had people ask, like, why, like, why are you doing a mental health, emotional health series at church? Well, it's because Jesus cares about this, right? He talks about in Mark that we're to love God, love people, and ultimately love ourselves with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So our heart that center, that seat of emotion and feeling, right? Our mind, that place where we think, right? That place where we create, that place where ideas come in to view, right? Our soul, that spiritual seat, and then our strength, physical. Like Jesus cares about all of us. And what Jesus desires for us, what Jesus makes possible for us is for us to become whole, right? Not split in half, which we'll talk about that here. We don't have to segment or compartmentalize our lives. Jesus wants our lives to be whole. He desires for us to be holy, right? Like we, we see this in scripture that we, are, we can become unique in the same way that he is, right? That we can grow in that. That word holy is the, the word we see in scripture that they use to kind of de define just like the otherness, the unlike anything else-ness of God, right? Jesus wants us to live lives that look like, like unique. Like there, there's, this, there's this thing in us that reflects that, that holy, that different, that unique, that unlike anything other that reflects him, right? So he wants us to be whole, holy and healthy, right? So that's what Jesus desires for us. And we've seen that throughout scripture as we've kind of read and, and seen just how God works in those areas in our lives. Now, here's the cool thing. The, 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 the thing beneath the thing, the book, right, which is written by a guy named Steve Carter, it ends with this really interesting story about caterpillars, right? So how many of us grew up reading the Eric Carle book, the hungry, the very, very hungry caterpillar? The very, yes, good. So I felt like this was kind of a mainstay, uh, for a lot of us growing up, like this is a book that we all read, and if you know the story of the very hungry caterpillar, spoiler alert, it's about a caterpillar that's hungry, right? 
And in the book, here's what he does. Here's what this caterpillar does. He eats one apple on Monday, right? It's coming back to you now. Two pears on Tuesday, three plums on Wednesday, four strawberries on Thursday, and five oranges on Friday. Now, after all of that food, the caterpillar falls asleep, goes in his sleeping bag, right, and and falls asleep, and he wakes up as a butterfly, right? That's what happens. If you didn't know that, that caterpillars are where butterflies come from, you're welcome, right? It's like, now you know this, right? So, but here's the cool thing, is this week what I learned is there's actually some real science behind this kid's book, right, this Eric Carle book. Scientists, here's what scientists have discovered, people that study insects, they've discovered that caterpillars actually have zero ability to control their impulse to eat. They cannot control that impulse. It is a constant impulse. They can't, they can't shut that valve off. They can't dial their impulse to eat back. And so what we know is this. One caterpillar by itself can destroy an entire garden in a single day. That's what they can do because they will never stop eating. They never stop eating. They can't control that, that impulse to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. So what happens is this. Caterpillars literally eat themselves out of their skin, right? Maybe some of us have felt like that after like holiday meals where it feels like, like don't touch me or I will pop, right? Don't, don't, don't even look at me, right? Or I'm going to burst, right? Caterpillars, they literally eat themselves out of their skin. They eat and they shed their skin multiple times. But after a few times of doing this, here's what happens. Instead of just shedding their skin and going back to eating and eating more and eating more, they, they undergo a complete and total transformation into a butterfly. Now, here's the deal. At some point, what I'm getting ready to tell you, at some point, this is going to come in handy, right? At some point, you're going to be like playing trivia somewhere, and somebody's going to ask this question, and you will be the ones that know the answer, and you can thank Steve Carter for this, okay? When a caterpillar, this is crazy, when a caterpillar enters the chrysalis stage, which is when he gets into his sleeping bag and goes to sleep, goes to take a nap, when a caterpillar goes into that chrysalis stage, a caterpillar only has 50 cells, 5-0, 50 cells that make up this entire thing. But when that same 50-celled caterpillar emerges from that chrysalis as a butterfly, it now has over 50,000 cells, which is amazing. And that will be an answer on a trivia question at some point. Like, you'll watch Jeopardy, and you'll be like, how many cells? Like, what is 50,000, right? Like, you'll know this, right? But here's what, here's what Carter, here's what Steve Carter has to say about this. He says, the caterpillar doesn't just shift into something that's kind of similar. See, typically when we do kind of transformation, like Matt talked about, we change behaviors, we change habits, we change diets, those kinds of, like, we'll change but we shift into something that's just a little similar. It's, it's, it's maybe just a little bit more refined version of who we are, right? It's, it's maybe a little bit more improved version of who we are. But what, 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 what Carter says is that the caterpillar doesn't just shift into something similar. It becomes something completely and entirely new, which I think is amazing. It goes from being a 50-celled organism to being a creature that has over 50,000 cells. But what he says is this. It's actually the process of all of that eating and growing and, and kind of breaking free from that chrysalis, right, that cocoon, that, that sleeping bag that he goes in to take a nap. It's actually all of that, all of that kind of struggle and stretching and growing and those kinds of things. It's that that gives butterflies the strength they need to actually fly. So without that, they wouldn't be able to fly. So all the hard work, all, this, all the, the, the being stretched and, and growing and, and kind of shedding old skin, shedding old stuff, that's actually what fuels this transformation and what enables them when they break free to ultimately fly. Now, you could probably tell at this point that we're not really talking about caterpillars and butterflies anymore, are we? Right? We're talking about us. See, this is what we've been digging into. This is what we've been doing. The last four or five weeks, this is what we've been doing. We, we've... This is where all this has been headed. It's kind of all led to this moment, all the hard work we've done over the last five weeks, which I've had, I had someone a couple weeks ago go, hey, Brad, I hate this series. And I went, me too, right, which is ultimately probably why we need to do it and why we'll do it again, right, at some point, right. We'll just give you a little more warning next time. But here's the thing. All this hard work that we've been doing, this pressing into these things beneath the things, it's kind of all led to this. And what we've talked about, just to do a quick flyby, we, we started by talking about our triggers, right, these these kind of present-in-the-moment emotions and feelings that get tied back to and remind us 
of painful moments and painful experiences and shame and regret in our pasts. We pressed into that. Those, those things that kind of push up against us in our present that remind us of these things in the past that hurt, that we regret, that we cringe over, right? We, we talked, we pressed into those. We kind of turned and faced those. We've, we've grown in our understanding of our hideouts, right? These places that we go to kind of run from and escape the feelings that kind of get brought up by our triggers, right? These hideouts are the way that we kind of self-soothe and we self-medicate. Anything to kind of avoid having to actually face or deal with the stuff in our past. Any way we can avoid dealing with that, right? We, we were courageous, right? We talked about insecurities. We talked about facing our insecurities. And what insecurities are, those places in our lives where our identities, actually who we are, gets hijacked. And we end up believing that, that the only way we can survive is to be someone or something other than who we really are. We turned and faced those kinds of things. We, last week, we reckoned with and we rumbled with and we brought the revolution to these narratives that we believe, right? These stories that we tell ourselves, these one-sided, untrue, alternate realities that we kind of tend to live in, right? Because our brains, like, we're story-formed people. And our brains use stories, our minds use stories to kind of make sense of the world around us, including the things that feel dangerous or threatening to us, right? So let me just say this. If we just stopped here, like this is some serious work. Like this is, this is serious. Like lot, people pay lots of money to see professionals to go through stuff like this, myself included, right? Right, myself included. I see a counselor on, on a monthly basis. Every few weeks, I go and I talk to my counselor. His name's Jay. He's fantastic, right? But but here's the thing: it's this is work, and this is hard work. And in, in the last few weeks for you, I don't know if if it's been like this for you. I can I can just speak for myself. It hasn't been easy, because I don't stand on a stage. I just I don't stand on a stage and preach something. I won't. I will never stand up here and talk to you about something that I have not wrestled with myself. Right? This is never going to be kind of a do as I say but not as I do kind of thing. Right, So this is stuff, as we're dealing with this, like I've had to go back through and kind of shed old thought patterns. I've had to go back through and, and shed old habits. I've had to talk to my counselor about hideouts that I never knew existed. I had to talk about old defense mechanisms that I thought I'd dealt with and were done but just kept creeping up. Right Now here's the thing, I might have also taken kind of a double stuff Oreo break in there every now and then, right? Because I'm just a hungry caterpillar, right? We're all just hungry caterpillars eating our way through our feelings, or at least I am. So, but here's the deal, we're not done. We're not done yet. All of that hard work, it's really getting us ready for what comes next, and that's this, grace. Grace is what we're going to talk about today. Now here's the thing, before we start to unpack what grace is, and how grace works, and what it does, and what it's all about. Because let's be honest, grace is kind of a churchy word, right? It's a word that gets thrown around a lot at church, and, and it's, it's one that we think we may have an understanding of, of what it means, right? It's, it's the lyric of a famous song, right? It's the, like, there's famous songs that have been written about it. If you're a big Christmas vacation fan, right, it's, it's, it's grace is like the blessing, right? Maybe it's what you do at dinner before you eat, right? Those kind of, but what is grace? See, for us, to kind of... To kind of understand what this is, what I need us to walk through first and what I need us to understand is what grace isn't. Because here's what happens. You and I, and I learned this for myself even, we get tripped up a lot by some of the unmet expectations and some of the really the, 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 the false disappointments. They feel real. It's real disappointment. But it's based in something that's not exactly true, right? We get tripped up by unmet expectations and disappointment that comes from a misunderstanding of what grace really is. Now, you guys know this. I spent about 20 years in student ministry. I had somebody, I spoke at a thing this week, uh, and they introduced me as a, as a youth pastor. I said, recovering. I'm a recovering youth pastor, right? So spent 20 years in student ministry, nearly 20 years in student ministry, and, and that got too hard, so I decided to, to jump into to leading a church. Um, so... Um, but here's the thing, I, I, was thinking about, so I was thinking about grace. I was thinking about, we used to do this, we used to do summer camp every summer, right? I've, I spent almost two decades going to summer camp every summer. And there's one, one summer in particular that um, there was a student that, um, that came, it was his first time ever coming on summer camp, and, and, and really, honestly, 
similar to my own story, got invited by a friend that was pretty connected into our youth group, but this dude didn't know Jesus, like me, right? When I first started going to, when I first went to summer camp, I got invited by a friend. I didn't know Jesus. I really didn't want anything to do with Jesus. I didn't know I was going to a Jesus camp until they started singing songs. I looked at my friend like, are you kidding me, right? Like, you got, like, where did you take me, right? Like, I, you said this wasn't going to be, and anyway, right? Long story short. But this kid gets invited by a friend, shows up, and just kind of falls in love with Jesus. And decides, you know, I, I've been living this way for, for the better part of 17 years of my life. And, and, and I, I want to change my, I want, I want to give my life, by the end of the week, right? Fourth night, if you've ever been to camp, fourth night, tonight, everybody cries, right? So, like, he shows up, and, I, and he's like, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to give my life to Jesus. So he gives his life to Jesus. I walk him through all that. We do all, the, like, the decision counseling. Make sure you understand what you're doing. He's like, I want to get baptized. So we baptize him, right? We baptize him along with some of his friends and people like that. And, and here's the thing. I see him again about a week later. Right? We get home from camp, and I see him again about a week later at church. And he comes up to me. He says, hey, listen, um, I know it's been about 10 days since I got baptized, um, but can I get baptized again? I want to get baptized next week. Can I get baptized next week? And I looked at him and I said, why? He goes, I don't think it worked. I don't know if it was because we were in the Gulf of Mexico. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's like, I know there's an oil spill out there at some point. Like, I don't, it, it, just, doesn't, it just doesn't feel like it worked. And I said, well, why do you, why do you feel like it didn't work? And he says, well, I, I still have the same struggles. I still have the same struggles. I still wrestle with the same stuff that I wrestled with. Like, everything that I did before, Brad, I said yes to Jesus and got baptized. I came back, and you know what? I, I, I did it again. The same junk I did before, I came back and I messed up again. So, Brad, I need to go back and do it again. And can, will you baptize me next week? And that led into a really long conversation where I basically said, no, it worked, but this is a process. And here's what happens. A lot of us, we feel the same. We feel the same because we start to wonder, like, you know, there's a point in my life when I said yes to Jesus, and there's a point in my life when somebody baptized me, right? I made that, that private decision public. Let me just say this about baptism. It's not magic water, right? I baptize kids in the Gulf of Mexico. We baptize students, right, in, in our student center. This baptistry over here, the water comes from a hose out back, right? So it's not magic water. That's just a way of taking a personal decision and making it public. But it worked. But sometimes what happens is this, we, we go through this experience where we say yes to Jesus, we accept Jesus, we, we make that personal decision public, somebody baptizes us, we, we, we celebrate, like it's, it's an amazing moment, and then the next day we wake up and we're still dealing with the same junk we dealt with before, except now it's probably ten times as worse. I usually tell people like, baptism is great, saying yes to Jesus is great, it's an awesome moment to celebrate, but here's the thing, this is the kind of thing our enemy hates the most. And so there's a piece of this, if we're just being real, after you make a decision for Jesus and you get baptized, you kind of get kicked in the teeth the next, the next couple of days. And he's like, I'm still dealing with the same stuff. We're in the same boat. Here's what Carter says. Often, here's what happens. We treat and we expect grace to work like a magic pill that makes all of the bad stuff in our life disappear. We make a decision to accept Jesus, and then here's our expectation. We expect to wake up the next morning without any temptations, addictions, or struggles. It's all based on a misunderstanding of grace. Carter goes on to say that when we look at or we treat or we expect grace to work like this, what it shows is we've got a really narrow view of what grace is. He says that, like, thinking that all that grace has to offer is, is just kind of making you feel better, thinking that all grace is is kind of a magic pill or something like that, he says all that is is, is, is essentially saying this. It's, it's like you saying that you can see an entire mountain while trying to look at it through a keyhole. You're, you're only seeing a fraction of what it really is. And here's what I've learned personally, just over time and experience. When we settle, when you and I settle from, for, for a misunderstanding of what grace is, a misunderstood version of grace, when we treat grace as just kind of a magic pill or this like spiritual, emotional, mental, physical, like get out of jail free card, here's what happens. We risk making grace nothing more than just a quick fix for the uncomfortable consequences of our choices. It's like there are these things that I want to do, and I know I'm going to feel bad about it, 
right? I might feel bad about it for a second. I might feel bad about it for a minute, but here's what I can do. I can always just pray and ask Jesus to forgive me and offer me grace, and maybe then all of those regrets and shame and all that kind of stuff, all that guilt, it'll just disappear. I just need a quick fix. I just need to make these bad vibes go away. And if we're really honest, when all grace is, is a quick fix for our regret. When we approach grace and we use grace like it's Novocaine, for like our bad vibes and consequences, like those things that inconvenience us. It's like, man, I just, today I would really like to not be inconvenienced and annoyed by just my consequences. If I could just escape those or get around those, here's what happens. It's only a matter of time, and I see this happen a lot. When we treat grace like this, it's only a matter of time before we check out on grace and we check out on Jesus, because at some point, will feel like, and, and that narrative begins to form that, hey, this isn't working like it's supposed to. It's probably, it, I should probably stop wasting my time. This isn't working like I thought it would. I, I, I should probably move on to something else. And here's why we get in that spot. Here's the truth of why we get in that spot. That's not what grace is. That's not what it is. It's not a magic pill. It's not a get out of jail or get out of your consequences free card. It's not a get out of hell free card. See, I, I think a lot of the times even we look at it from an eternal perspective. It's like, well, I said yes to Jesus. I got baptized. My eternal retirement is set, right? I got my get out of hell free card. So whenever that day comes, I can go, hey, check it out. I'm like, let me in. I don't have to go there. I get to go to the good place. I'm good. Right? We just settle. But here's the thing. Grace is so much more than that. So the question is, what is it? Like, what is grace Really, if you got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians today, right? We're going to look through a couple chapters in Ephesians, a couple verses in Ephesians. So, so if you need a Bible, we've got some in the back. They're free. You can have them. You can take them home. We'd love for you to have a Bible. I'm just going to give you a little bit of warning, though. Next week when we start our James series, there will not be any scripture on the screens, right? So you're going to have to bring your Bible. We want you to get used to owning one, and they open like this, right? Like that's how they work. So Today, we're going to put them on the screen. Next week, we're not going to do that, right? We'll put some page numbers and things like that up there. But here's the thing. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. This is Paul speaking to a group of people at a church in a place called Ephesus. Right? He writes this letter to them. And he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And once you once walked the way that you used to walk, he said, you followed the course of this world, you followed the prince of the power of the air, that's another word, like another name for Satan, our adversary, our enemy, right? That spirit, he says, that spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He said, among whom we all once lived. It's like, we all used to belong to that crowd, Right? We lived in the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of our body and our minds, right? We were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Again, you want to know why, like, our, our heart, soul, mind, strength? But like, you see how all these things are interconnected in Scripture? It's because that's the way God wired us. He says, but here's what happened. God, being rich in, say it with me, mercy, because of his great love, with, which with he loved us, right, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Now let's pause right here for just a second. Because I love how, how Paul kind of clears this up for us. Paul's going to begin to kind of unpack and help us understand grace. But the first way that he does this is he shows us that grace and mercy are actually two different things. Grace and mercy are actually two different things. They work together. Grace and mercy work together to complement each other, but they're not the same thing. Right? A lot of, and here's the thing, a lot of times, and I'm pointing at me too, right? So this is like, I'm not just going like, a lot of times you guys do this, I don't. No, I'm pointing at me too, right? We assume, I assume that the function of grace, that what grace does is it removes kind of the punishment or the consequences of sin from our lives, right? It's like, it, again, it's like, it just take away the punishment, take away the, like, that's what grace does. What does grace do? It, it, it lets us off the hook, Right? Grace lets us off the hook. Grace makes it so that we don't get what we deserve. When we make mistakes, when we, when we do things, when we look at God and say, God, like, this is what sin really is. It's us looking at God going, listen, I know you're good, and I know you created life, and I know you thought me up. But here's the thing, God, I think I can do this whole life thing better than you. So why don't you get out of my way and let me do the way I want. See, when we do that, what we think is like, you know, I can do that. I can talk to God that way. I can put God in the back seat, or I can drop God off and say, hey, listen, I'm going to go do some stuff over here, rather than you not see it. 
So I'm going to go do this. I'll pick you back up later. And when I pick you back up later, I'm going like, to offload all this stuff and say, hey, can you take care of this for me? Like, that's kind of how we look at grace. Like, it lets us off the hook. It makes it so that we don't get what we deserve. It, it, it eliminates punishment and consequences. But that's, that's not grace. That's mercy. And I need us to understand the difference. The word for mercy that we see used here in Ephesians, right, it means this. Here's the, the literal definition of the Greek word for mercy. It means kindness and goodwill towards the miserable, the afflicted, combined with the desire to help. See, now here's the thing. We've talked, we've spent most of this series talking about people in the Old Testament, right, that kind of first part of the Bible. One of the people we talked about was this guy named David. David was a king. So there's this practice amongst kings in the Old Testament. When, when, it, when a king would conquer someone, that, that conquered ruler, whoever it was, it was called being laid bare, right? Maybe you've heard that. They, that, that conquered ruler, the king for whatever country got conquered, would be laid naked, right, in front of the, the conquering army and the conquering king. And, and David, David was, a, like, David was a part of this, right? So when he would conquer a king, that king would be laid naked in front of him and his army, and David would put a sword in his chest, but he would also reach a hand out. So with his right hand, he'd put a sword, like the tip of the sword, right here. And with his left hand, he would reach out. You got a choice. It's either the sword or it's my hand. It's either... The, it's either death or mercy. And the cool thing about it was, was when, when those conquering kings, those conquered kings, would reach up and grab the hand of mercy, it wasn't just that you were allowed to live. You were welcomed into and you became a part of the king's family. That's Old Testament practice. So it's like I got a choice here. I can accept the consequences, right, and be run through, or I can reach up and grab the hand of mercy, and I'm not just spared, but I am then now a part of. I become a part of the, the king's family. That's what mercy is. And so when we think about this, right, here's how I want us to make sense of this. And you're taking notes. You can write it down. If not, grab a picture of this. Mercy is what God does for us through Jesus. That's what mercy is. Mercy is what God does for us through Jesus, right? What we learn is Jesus took on our sin, took on our punishment, and what he does is he gives us his goodness, his holiness. Same kind of thing. Jesus said, listen, um, here's, the, here's what, I'll take the sword so that you can have mercy, right? I'll swap you. How about that? I'll swap you. You deserve the sword. I'll take it, right? You'll get mercy, that's what Jesus does. That's what God does for us through Jesus. So, so that's mercy, and that's what mercy does. But what about grace? Here's what it says. Let's pick back up in verse 5. Paul says, it's by grace that you've been, say it, saved. And raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that nobody can boast. Because we're his workmanship. Paul says we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's goodness. There's goodness that God wants to do in us. There's goodness that God wants to do through us. But we can't do that. There is no goodness in us or through us without grace. So Paul answers all of our questions in just a couple of verses. Paul, in just these few verses, he talks about what grace is, what it does, how it works, how to get it. Check this out, right? The word for grace that, that Paul uses here, the Greek word, it literally refers to a shift or a change or transformation in condition as a result of a gift. Right? The Greek word is literally the word that we get charity from. We talk about charity or charitable work. If you think about what, what is charity, like what is charity? Charity or being charitable is giving someone a gift with no strings attached. And the purpose of that gift, it's not just to make us feel good about ourselves. The purpose of, of something that's charitable is that it would cause a change in someone or something. That's the purpose of charity, 
right? We, our elders and, and a group of people from our church, we got a chance a couple weeks ago to go sit at a fundraiser for Waterstep, one of our mission partners here, right? They do, they, they do clean water uh, all around the planet. We love them, right? They're, they're going, they, they, they spread like the water and word of life all over the planet. They're raising money. They're raising money to do what? More water projects, more hygiene, to go into places, right, that, that, where people need help, right? So, so it's a charitable gift, but the charitable gift isn't just to support an organization or make us feel good about ourselves that we're giving money away. It's to cause change, to literally change the condition of somebody's life. That's what grace is. So again, taking, taking notes, taking pictures, right? Here's what it is. Mercy speaks to what God does for us. Grace speaks to what God does to us, in us, and through us. So what Paul what he writes in Ephesians can kind of be read like this. It's by grace, which is a charitable, no-strings-attached gift from God, that your entire condition has changed. You haven't just shifted a little, right? Grace is transforming you into something and someone completely new. And it's a gift given to you through faith. You can't earn it. You can only receive it. That's what grace is. Taking this next step in the journey, right? We talk about the journey, pressing into the things beneath the things in our lives. Here's, here's the next step for a lot of us. we got to shift our understanding of grace. Our view and understanding of grace is often limited to be transactional when really and truly it's transformational. And nobody knows that better than Paul, the guy that's writing this letter. See, Paul, Paul didn't just study grace by reading a textbook. Paul didn't just learn about grace by reading scripture. Paul didn't just learn about grace by, by hanging out with religious people, right? He, he didn't just hear about it. He didn't listen to it. didn't listen to a podcast or a sermon, right? Paul experienced it. Like the full transformational power of real grace. He experienced this, which is why he's so qualified to write about it. Check this out in Acts chapter 9. Here's what it says, verse, verses 1 through 9. It says, but Saul... We'll talk about him in just a minute. Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus, went to the high priests, the religious leaders, and asked him for letters to the synagogues in a place called Damascus, so that if he found any people belonging to the way, we'll talk about that in a second, men or women, he might bring them bound back to Jerusalem. So just some context. This is Acts chapter 9. If you flip back one chapter to Acts chapter 8, we see the same guy, Saul, is kind of, he's overseeing the execution of a guy named Stephen, who was a follower of Jesus. And Acts tells us in chapter 8 that Saul oversaw the whole thing, and he looked on Stephen's death, his execution, with approval. Like, good. One less follower of Jesus. One chapter later, the same guy Saul, he's leaving Jerusalem and he's going to Damascus. And here's what he's got. Here's what he's got in his hands. He's got written permission from the religious leaders and the government to do whatever he felt like was necessary to stomp out this growing movement of Jesus followers that called themselves the way. And so Saul, he has permission. Saul, you will not get in trouble. You will not get in trouble. It is okay for you to go hunt down, kill, and imprison. Whatever it takes, just make this Jesus thing stop. So he picked back up. That's what it says. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and it says this. Suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, well, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. And I love this. Jesus takes it personal when people come after his followers. Jesus, he takes it's a, it's a he's, he doesn't say, hey, those are my people that you're persecuting. He says, I'm the one. I'm the one you're persecuting. You want to know who I am? You want to know what you've been doing? You've been persecuting me. This is personal, buddy. He says this, rise and enter the city, and here's what's going to happen. You're, you're going to be told what to do. 
And it says this, the Bible tells us that the men who were traveling with Saul, they stood speechless. They could hear the voice, but they couldn't see anyone. They couldn't see what Saul was seeing. They could hear it. And it says that Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. And so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Remember the caterpillar? It goes inside that chrysalis. It grows from 50 cells to 50,000. This is what's happening. See, grace is going to work in and going to work on and was eventually going to work through Saul. Here's what Acts tells us, right? Acts tells us that, that after three days, this guy named Ananias was sent by Jesus to pray for Saul. And Jesus goes to Ananias, and Ananias has this great conversation like, um, Jesus, uh, I think you have the wrong guy, right? Not me, him, right? You, do you know what he's done? Like, do you, like this, do, you, do you know how many people he's killed? Do you know the people that he's thrown in prison? Do you know what he's done to you, right? Like, he's the, Jesus, you know this, Saul, he's the guy killing your followers, right? And Jesus says, yep, I know that. But here's the deal. He's the one that I've chosen to take my story to the Gentiles, which if you don't know what that is, there's two kinds of people in this ancient world. There were Jews and Gentiles, people who were Jewish and the Gentiles. The Gentiles were everybody else, us, right? We are Gentiles. And Jesus says, this guy Saul is who I've chosen to take my message to people like us. So, again, a little bit of a mind blower, right? You take Jesus and his grace out of the equation from a guy like Saul, Adventure Christian Church doesn't exist. Right? Because this is the guy that Jesus said, listen, you're going to take my message to the people that everywhere Everywhere. You're going to take my message, my, my story, to all of those people, them, us. It's crazy when you start thinking about this. You track it all back. But here's what happens. Ananias shows up, and he prays for Saul, and here's what he calls him. He calls him Brother Saul. Do you know what that must have sounded like? Do you know what that must have sounded like and felt like? And maybe you do. Maybe you know what it's like to, to feel like you're somebody like Saw, who it feels like you are blind and you are worn out and you are scared and you're alone. It feels alone to feel someone come up and put their hand on your back and whisper in your ear and call you brother or sister. He calls him brother, which is the first sign for Saul, you're not who you used to be. You're a brother. What the Bible tells us is that something like scales fall from his eyes and that he could see again. And, and the same guy, here's what happens. The same guy who was going to Damascus to hunt down in prison and kill Christians starts preaching the message of Jesus and winning debates against the side that sent him there in the first place. Right? He was beginning to become someone completely new. Why? How? How is this happening? Because of grace. We read in Galatians, right? Galatians, Paul tells his story. He says, listen, after this moment in Damascus, right, I went away for three years. Paul went away for three years to prepare, right? He spent time, he spent time preparing, strengthening, right, for what was going to come. He was letting grace in further and further and further in his life over a three-year period. Before he went back and started this kind of thing that Jesus asked him to do, he spent three years with Jesus, letting Jesus press further and further and further into the things beneath the things in his life. Letting, letting Jesus, let that, letting that grace press into more and more of who he is. Dallas Willard, who you know I love, has a great quote. It says this, the grace of God is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. See, Saul, who we now know as Paul, he did the same work, the same effort that we've been doing over the last few weeks that we'll continue to do, not to earn grace, but to let it in. That's why we've been singing the song, that, that same song we opened with today, right? Let the light in, right? Open up the windows, open up the doors, the windows of your life, and let the light of grace in, right? That's work. That, that, that takes effort, it takes effort to unlock and unseal parts of our lives, just like it did for Paul. It took effort to unlock and unseal parts of his life to let the transforming power of grace into every corner of who he is. And the same is true for us. Like I said before, grace is not a magic pill. And this past summer we talked about spiritual disciplines and what that means. What we said is this. 
all of us in this place, right, we are all people in process. We are at some stage, right, some place in the process of being transformed to look like Jesus. We're people in process. And it's training, not trying. We're training to become people that live like Jesus. We're not just trying to do the things that Jesus did. We're practicing. We're practicing the with God life. But it's practice. It's not perfection. This is not like a, a switch that gets flipped and all of a sudden you're perfect. And here's where it starts. It starts with showing up. Sometimes we overcomplicate it. It starts with showing up. Here's what happened. You showed up today. You got out of bed. You got in your car. You came here. You spent some time with people that love Jesus. You spent some time learning about Jesus. Do it again tomorrow. Do it again tomorrow. Get up out of bed. You won't be able to come here, right? Nobody will be here. We're closed on Mondays, right? But get up tomorrow. Grab your Bible. Open it up to, the, to Ephesians, like what we just, what we just read. You, you're spending time with, you showed up and you spent time with Jesus. Do the same thing tomorrow. Do it the next day and the next day and the next day. Here's what it is, right? It's you and I saying to the Holy Spirit, here's another piece of my life. Here's, here's another part of my life. Why don't you take that and transform that? Here's... Here's another part of my past that I haven't told anybody about. Will you take that and transform that? Here, here's shame. Here's shame that I've felt over this, over years. Here's pain. Here's pain that I've never shared with anyone. Holy Spirit, will you take that and transform that and use that? Here's the truth. You, you can't earn grace. You and I, we cannot earn grace. But what we can do is we can make the effort to open the doors in our lives and let grace in to transform more and more and more of our lives. So with Paul, right, formerly saw, he's now somebody wholly new. He's, he's totally new, right? We fast forward a few decades in his life, and instead of stomping out the movement of Jesus, Paul was helping to plant and start communities and families of Jesus followers throughout the known world, right? That's what he did. Instead of destroying the teachings and ways of Jesus, Paul would go on to write almost half of the New Testament. And what does he do? He helps people like you and I apply the teachings of Jesus to our lives. Paul went from a caterpillar, caterpillar to a butterfly. It's a total transformation. Why? Because of grace. And we say this a lot here at Adventure. Bible people are just Bible people, right? Bible people are just people people. They're just like us. And I know for a lot of us when I say that, the Bible people are just people people. They're just like you and I. You go, yeah, but here's the deal, Brad. I get that. But I don't know that grace can really change me. I get that we say Bible people are just people people, but and, and, you know, I, see, I see a story like a guy named Saul, who we now know as Paul. Like, I see this story, and I see what grace does in his life, but I don't know that it can do that for me. Can I just make this, what we're really saying when we say stuff like that is, I don't know if Jesus is really big enough or strong enough to handle what I've got. Can I ask you this? This week, did you try to stomp out Jesus' movement by murdering and imprisoning Christians? No, there should that you can. That's not a no, right? And if you did, let's talk. Let's talk afterwards. All right? No. All right. So let me just say, maybe Jesus can't handle what you've got. If God's grace can transform someone like Saul to someone like Paul, I'm betting it you do the same for you. But you can't earn it. You have to let it in. You can't earn it, but you can let it in. So where do we go from here? Let's wrap up, right? Back to Ephesians 5. Here's what it says in verse 8. It says, for at one time, again, old you, you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, right? That's transformation. You're not just in a new place. You're not just kind of this. You're something entirely new. So what does he say? Paul says, walk, live differently. Live as children of light, he says, for the fruit of light is found in all good, all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. He says, take no part in the, the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it's shameful even to speak of the things that are done in secret. I want to pause right here real quick. I need to point something out. Right? I need to make something really clear, because what Paul isn't saying... He isn't saying that, it, that, you're, that it's our job to expose the darkness in other people, right? This verse, right, these verses get weaponized a lot in the church. And so what we think is like, well, it's my job as a Christian to like drag everybody else's mess out into light. Go, look how bad they are. That's not what this is saying. What Paul is saying here is he's speaking to the personal effort 
of you and I exposing the dark places in our own lives to the light of grace. I had a friend, his name is Bill Weedman. He used to say this, you can bring it into light yourself or Jesus will go and find it. Which one do you want? Paul, he's encouraging us to bring the things that are beneath the things in our lives into the light of grace, right? The the same light that Paul ran into on that road to Damascus that changed and transformed everything because he knows grace changes everything. Even the darkest and most shameful and regretful and hurtful and painful things in your life can become light. He says this, when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. You get that? The darkest parts of your story can become light, can speak light into somebody else. We talked about this last week in our narratives, right? There's a point where we're, where we're going to be the only person that can look across the table at somebody else and go, me too, I get it. Can, we, can I tell you about Jesus? And then I love the way this closes, right? I've got it tattooed right here on my arm. It says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up. You don't have to live in darkness anymore. There is a different way. Steve Carter says it like this. He says, first, we have to let grace find us, and then we have to let grace find us out. And so I want to close with this. We... We've talked a lot today about transformation, right? The, the fact that grace is, this, is the transformation engine that changes us. But, but I want to give us a picture, right, of what this looks like, right? We've, we've been using this entire series, we've been using this iceberg, right? It's kind of this metaphor for, for how we live, right? When, you, when we've got things beneath the things in our lives, there's kind of two parts of our lives. There's, there's the surface life, and then there's the below surface life. There's the, the surface life is what I want you to see and what I want you to believe is real and true about me. And then everything below the surface is what is actually real and true about me, right? This kind of life, an iceberg life, is split, it's divided, it's compartmentalized, it's, it's hidden, it's, it's protected, it's, it's guarded, and ultimately, it's fake. But as we accept the grace that God offers through Jesus, as we, as we make the effort to let grace into our lives, we change from icebergs to redwoods. Something ent- entirely different. You're like, Brad, did you take your medicine today? Yes. Follow with me. Follow me on this one, all right? Redwood trees. They're the tallest trees on the planet, right? They, 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 they can grow in some cases to be 250, 350 feet tall. Redwoods, this is really cool, they're referred to as light chasers. Redwood trees grow 10 feet a year on average. Why? Because they're reaching for more light. They grow. They seek to grow. They, they use their energy. They use, all of, they use everything they have to grow more and more closer to the light, right? All of that effort, right, to grow closer to the light. They're light chasers. They grow 10 feet a year. But here's the thing. Here's the crazy thing about redwoods. As tall as they are, their roots only go about 10 or 12 feet deep. So here's what you need to know about a redwood. Here's how it's different than an iceberg, just about every single part of a redwood tree is visible. You can see almost all of a redwood tree. The roots don't go that deep. For as tall as they are, their roots only grow about 10 or 12 feet deep. But here's the thing. A redwood by itself, even in a light breeze, will fall over. So while redwood trees' roots don't drive deep, what they do is instead they go hundreds of feet out. And they reach out and they interlock with one another. Right? They intertwine. And redwood trees, together, they form a network where they support one another, which is crazy. They've studied redwood trees and they've learned that when one of the trees in that network gets sick or weak, the other trees that are connected will actually send their own resources to the sick tree until it's healthy again. And here's the thing. Redwood trees, if you ever go out and see redwood, if you go out to the forest, they grow in circles. They grow in big circles. i got a picture of this. You can see it. They grow in big circles. And here's what they call a group of, a circle of redwood trees. A group, a circle of redwood trees like this is called a cathedral. 
which is just a fancy word for church. And so as we end this series, here's the challenge. May Adventure Church become a cathedral of redwoods. Light chasers. People that chase the light of grace, the light of Jesus. People who reach for more and more light. Knowing we can't earn it, but we can let more of it in. May we become a cathedral of redwoods that we allow grace into the darkest parts of who we are. May we become a cathedral of redwoods who are fully visible to one another. There's nothing hidden in our lives. May our roots grow wide and reach to support one another. May adventure be a place where we hold each other up, where we provide for one another. May we be people that let grace find us and find us out. I'm going to pray for us here in a second. We're going to worship together. This opportunity is available. Today you have the opportunity to go from a caterpillar to a butterfly. You have the opportunity to go from an iceberg to a redwood. Here's how you do that. Jesus. If you've never said yes to Jesus, today I would love to chat with you about that. If today you need an opportunity just to let grace in more and more, I'd love to pray with you. If you need need prayer, I would love to pray with you. I'll be here. There's also a place right here next to the cross where you can just come and pray. You can spend time with Jesus. If you want to do that in this next song, you're able to do that. I just need some time. Great. Take it. If you want to become a part of this cathedral of Redwoods, to join our church, we'd love to chat with you about that as well. But here's the thing. This is what I want to leave you with when it comes to this kind of stuff. If we don't let the light of grace into the things beneath the things in our lives, nothing will change. I said to a group of people this week, your life currently is set up perfectly to get the results it's currently getting. If you want that to change, you can't earn it. You can ask for it and receive it. But then you also have to let it in. So I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to worship, we're going to worship together today. But if you want things to change, this is how. It's not a magic pill. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, odds are things will feel pretty similar. But it's the process. And it's the practice. And it's the training. Growing in the light and life that comes from Jesus. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There is life available. Jesus, we love you. We love that that is true. We love that that is a reality. We love that you make that possible. So we worship you now. In your name we pray. Amen. We stand and sing with us. So many reasons, too many to count. 